this message in this sermon excites you, then you're on the right path. If it doesn't, then your relationship with the Christ needs review. Now, my text is the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through chapter 22, verse 5. You'll find that in your bulletins. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a book, the text. I always like to be in the same words. That's why I use the same translation. And, uh, of course, the outline. Kind of a lengthy outline, even, even for me. But it, it follows the subject and the pattern and the sequence which has been laid out by God himself in these verses. Now, anytime anyone preaches on heaven, it's a task. Because by necessity or by definition, it's going to fall short of the mark. The reason it's going to fall short of the mark is because it's beyond description. It's, it's mysterious. It's whatever. I can only imagine. And so... My prayer this morning is, dear Lord, what we know not, teach us. And Lord, may the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. You know, in Hebrews 11.10, we are told that Abraham was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And just as Abraham was looking for that city, we ought to be looking for that city. Every Christian ought to be looking for heaven. Every Christian ought to be longing for heaven. And every Christian ought to be living for heaven. Do you know, if we get a real appreciation of what heaven is, we would all be so homesick for heaven, the devil wouldn't stand a chance working with us on earth. The Bible actually teaches that there are three heavens. First of all, there is an atmospheric heaven. That's the atmosphere above us where the birds fly. Then there is a planetary heaven. And that is where the sun and the moon and the stars live day in and day out. But then there is a third heaven. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 that he was caught up by the Spirit into the third heaven. That is where God lives. Someone has said that the first heaven we see by day, the second heaven we see by night, but we see the third heaven by faith. You know, this morning in this passage of Scripture, we're given a glimpse of glory. We're given a snapshot of this third heaven, and it is an unbelievable scene. And though I believe it to be an accurate description I'm sure it is not an exhaustive description because eye has not seen or ear heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And we are privileged to get an inside look at what our home will be for all eternity. And this morning we're going to look specifically at the capital city of, of heaven, and that is the new Jerusalem. So first in your outline, consider the location of this city. We think about this city... As we think of it, two things jump to our attention. First, it is a real place. You know, John emphasizes in the first two verses that this new heaven, this new earth, this new Jerusalem are real places that he actually saw. 
This city is not a spiritual figment of someone's sanctified imagination. It is a literal place. And in verses 15 to 17, we are given the measurements of the city. In verse 18 to 21, we are given the materials of this city. And both of these signify that this is a real place. And John said, or Jesus said in John 14, I am going to prepare a place for you. Heaven is not an eternal nothingness that cannot be seen. It is a real, literal, actual place. Secondly, it is a renewed place. In verses 1 and 2, we are told that we are going to have a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Now, this means not just new in time, but new in kind. That it is going to be very different kind of heaven and a different kind of earth. And we know this because in verse 1, we are specifically told there was no more sea. So this will be a far different world than the world we live in now. This world is going to pass away. This world is doomed. Satan may be the ruler of this world right now, but he is sailing on a sinking ship. He's ruling a a doomed domain. This world is going up in smoke. You know, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3.10, But the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The world was not only created by God, it will be cremated by God. Now this world will be the same world, but it will be a world made new, a world purged by fire. Just as you see, I am a new creature. When I got saved, I became a new creation. Now it's the same me, but I am a new me. Yet I am still me, purged by the fire purged by the fire of redemption. And when I die, I'm going to get a new body. Now it will be the same body, but it will be a new body, yet it will be my body. For I will be known then as I am known now. I will have a new body purged by the fire of resurrection. One of these days, there's going to be a new earth. Now it will be the same earth, but a new earth, yet this earth will be purged by the fire of regeneration. That is, it's going to be the same earth, but with a new set of clothes. Secondly, your outline, consider the loveliness of this city. Now I know that this city is going to be a beautiful city because it is described in verse 2 as a bride adorned for her husband. Have you ever seen a bride that was not beautifully dressed? I never have. This city is beautiful for two reasons. First, the presence of God. In our text, verse 3, it states, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, what really makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. Heaven is where God is. He will live with us, dwell with us. We will be his people and he will be our God. Once God walked with man every day in the Garden of Eden. Daily fellowship was enjoyed between them, but man sinned. And that fellowship 
was broken. But there's going to come another day when he will walk again with his children, not in a garden, but in glory, not in time, but in eternity. Secondly, it is beautiful because of the absence of grief. Verse 4 states, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. To me, that is one of the most thrilling verses in all of the Bible. You know, when human hands wipe away tears in these earthly cities, the tears always seem to return. But when heavenly hands wipe away tears in the eternal city, they will never return. Just think of it. There will be no more broken homes, no more broken hearts, no more broken hopes, no more broken health. No pain, no pangs, no moaning, no groaning, no sighing, no dying, no crying. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more sorrow. It will be wonderful to be there in the land with no hospitals, no medicine, no doctors. I'm sure Dr. Aaron Way will be there, but not with a stethoscope. <laughs> a pastor was visiting a church member one time who was on his deathbed. He prayed with this man and said, Friend, you will be better in the morning. This man looked up and said, Pastor, I won't be better in the morning. I will be well in the morning. He was. For the next morning, he went to that city where there is no sickness. Third in your outline, consider the law of the city. Now, any city must have laws, for every city must have order. There are three laws that will rule this city. First, the law of satisfaction. Verse 6 states, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega and the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Every thirst, every God-given desire will be totally fulfilled. It will be completely satisfied. And Jesus will be supplying all of our needs. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. And he will satisfy every thirst and he will fulfill every hunger. And secondly, the law of service. Verse 7 states, He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. We are plainly told that we are going to inherit all things. We are going to be the executives and the administrators of God's estate. But God is also going to restore man's lost inheritance. And through the second Adam, Jesus Christ, we will once again rule, reign, and serve the living God. You see, in heaven... It will not only be a place of resting, it will also be a place of ruling. It's not only a place of leisure, it will also be a place of labor. Our text, chapter 22, verse 3, tells us that heaven, that in heaven his servants shall serve him. Third, the law of security. Verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Heaven will be a sweet, safe, secure place to live. No need to lock your doors at night, for there will not be any night. 
There's no need to fear the criminal, for there will not be any criminals. There will be no policemen, no jails, no courts. Righteousness and holiness will abound. Fourth, in your odd line, consider the luster of this city. This is a city that is not only uniquely beautiful, but it is beautifully unique. First, it is a mysterious city. Verse 9 through 11 states, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spiritual great high mountains. And he showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Twice we are told that this city comes down from heaven. It is almost as if it were hovering over the new earth. But yet it is going to be a part of the new earth. But more importantly, is we are told that it is going to have the glory of God. But that is a great mystery. The glory of God is one of the most mysterious subjects of all of the Bible. I mean, how do you describe the iridescent glory of God? Can you imagine a place where the glory of God abounds? We have a small example in 2 Corinthians 5.14. When Solomon finished building that magnificent temple, the Bible says that when the glory of God filled that temple, it was so great and so mighty that the priests could not continue ministering. They had to leave the building. That is why I am so excited about heaven. It is such a mysterious place. I believe that it will take an eternity just to explore our new heaven, our new home. Secondly, it is a majestic city. Verses 18 to 21 state, and listen. And the construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. What a city. There are streets of gold. Not just 24 karat gold, but 100% pure gold that is totally transparent. There are gates of pearl. We are told that each gate, there will be one solid pearl. There will be walls of jasper and embedded in these walls will be precious jewels such as sapphires and emeralds. What a, a majestic city is going to be our eternal home. The Grand Canyon, the Hawaiian Islands, the, the Alps, the Taj Mahal. Why, these are just dumps compared to our heavenly home. Third, it is a massive city. Verses 15 to 17 states, 
And he who walked, who talked with me, had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its breadth. Then he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 140 foot cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. This city is going to be a perfect cube. It's going to have the same length, the same height, and the same breadth. The length and the width and the breadth of the city will be 1,200 furlongs. Now, 1,200 furlongs equals 1,500 miles. Just picture a city with a base that could begin at the top of Maine and extend all the way down to the tip of Florida. 1,500 miles. And 1,500 miles wide. And 1,500 miles high with multiple living layers in between. Why is it so large? Well, I believe this is God's way of telling us that there is room for everybody, everyone who wants to go to heaven. You know, this world had no room for God's son when he came to earth. But God has enough room for all of the world that wants to come to him. Fifth, in your outline, consider the Lord of this city. Going back to verses five and six now. Which states, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Obviously, Jesus Christ is the Lord of this city. He is the sum and substance of heaven. It is not the pearly gates, nor the golden streets, nor the angelic choir that makes heaven, heaven. You could lock the gates, close the streets, shut down the choir, but if you had Jesus, you would still have heaven. Listen. The light of heaven is the face of Jesus. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus. The melody of heaven is the name of Jesus. The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus. The theme of heaven is the work of Jesus. The employment of heaven is the service of Jesus. The duration of heaven is the eternity of Jesus. And the fullness of heaven is Jesus himself. So then consider the Lord is the light of this city. Verses 23 to 24 states, And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring glory and honor to it. There'll be no need for a sun, nor moon, nor stars. No need for electrical power, for Jesus will be the light of that city. And just as Jesus is the light of this world, he will be and is a light of his world. Verse 22, sorry, chapter 22, verse 5. And there shall be no light there, no need for lamp, nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and forever. Secondly, the Lord is the life of this city. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 states, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, 
clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Why is there not need for generators or water towers or nuclear power plants? Because all we need is a river of life and a tree of life. And I believe both of these speak about the Lord Jesus because Jesus is the living water and Jesus is the life and he's going to sustain us for all eternity. Listen, I have tried as best as I could in this feeble message to describe to you in just brief moments the eternal glory of heaven. But I am reminded of the story of a little fellow who was born blind. And the doctors in this case had determined that they could perform surgery and correct this little boy's blindness. So they did perform surgery on this little boy. And the next scene is in the doctor's office. And the doctor is unwrapping the gauze from around the little boy's head. And he removes the pads from over the little fellow's eyes. And the doctor says, now, son, open your eyes very slowly. As he does, the, the doctor can already see by the smile that is twitching on his face that that little boy can already see the light. That little boy opens his eyes and begins to blink to get his eyes into focus. When he does, the first thing he sees is the face of the doctor. He then turns next and he sees the face of the nurse. He then turns to the other side and for the first time sees his mother. For the first time he sees a mother's tears because she is crying for joy. And then he gets up, walks over to the window, and for the first time he sees things that you and I have taken for granted. He saw the sky, but not just the sky, but a beautiful blue sky. He looked at the grass, but not just the grass, but glorious green grass. He looked and he saw a rose, but not just a rose, but a rich ruby red rose. And finally he turned and looked at his mother and he said with tears in his eyes, Mother, why didn't you tell me how beautiful all of this was? And she said, Son, all of your life I tried to tell you, but you just had to see it for yourself. This morning, I have tried to tell you how beautifully marvelous and how marvelously beautiful heaven is. But you just need to see it for yourself. But only a select group will ever see this city. That group is found in our text, chapter 21, verse 27. Listen, it states... But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The only ones who will ever gain entrance into this city. The only ones who have a home reserved in this place called heaven are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
I'm going to ask the praise team to take the platform again for the a closing song. But let me tell you a story that I read. It was of a, it was a young soldier who was dying in the battlefield. And when he was found, one of the medics found that he was still alive and knelt beside him. He bent over and heard him saying one word over and over and over. And he listened closely to catch that word and he found out that this young man was saying, here, here, here. The medic looked at this young man and said, why do you keep saying that word? That young soldier, a devout follower of the Lord Jesus Christ said, they're calling my role, my name in heaven. And I'm answering to my name. When the role is called, will your name be called? I beg you. I plead with you. I urge you with all the urgency and emergency of my soul, don't miss heaven. Because heaven is waiting for you. Amen. So this afternoon when, you, when you're looking at the game and you're enjoying your family and friends, you're watching this game, remember what's important is not the score, it's not who wins or who loses, but what's important is the chicken wings, <laughs> pigs in a blanket, pizza, and chips. Let us not forget that we worship the true king and so we praise him forever in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for there is only one true God. Amen. Let's share it for God's team.